Hello, my name is Brandon Boat, and you're listening to the Theater of Public Policy podcast. These interviews were recorded from the 13th season of our live show at the Bryan Lake Bowl in Minneapolis. Every show features an interview on an important issue, and then an improv comedy performance based on that interview. You're listening to just the interview from one of those shows. We'd also like to thank our media sponsor, MinPost, which provides reader-supported news and analysis. You can check them out at www.minpost.com. This episode's topic is about autonomous cars. Our guest, Frank Dauma, is the director of the State and Local Policy Program and coordinator of the Master of Urban and Regional Planning degree program at the Humphrey School of Public Affairs. And he is a research scholar at the Center for Transportation Studies. Both of these are located at the University of Minnesota. He has worked for the Canadian Pacific Railway, the Metropolitan Airports Commission, and the Minnesota Department of Transportation. He has a Master's of Arts in Public Affairs from the Humphrey School and a law degree from the University of Minnesota. He earned his bachelor's degree in political science from Grinnell College. I hope you enjoy the show. Uh, We were asking for a song. It's Come Sail Away. So thank you so much for joining us here um, to talk about this. Uh, I've actually really been looking forward to this show all season, so... Uh, can we can we start this way and sort of uh, uh, let's pretend it's 2030, okay? And uh, w- so now we're in sort of the the future as you envision it, uh, as you imagine it, with all of these autonomous vehicles everywhere. Just paint the scene for us. What does the what does Minneapolis the world look like um, in this year, assuming autonomous vehicles are everywhere uh, well, and they have not learned to kill? Not learned to kill yet. Um, Unlike us, um, yeah. But uh, the uh, uh, it won't look that different, other than the fact that uh, uh, we won't have to worry about where we parked the car. Uh, well, that, I mean, have you watched local politics? It's like <laughs> half of what we fight about right now. So this, this could bring about world peace, maybe not. Um, but uh, it uh, will make the world safer. Okay. And uh, uh, we'll we'll not be running into each other and killing each other quite as much. And uh, we'll be instead of parking our car we'll order it up like we might order an uber or a lyft right now it'll come pick us up take us where we need to go so this is really interesting because i think a lot of uh, at least i uh, i have thought and i think a lot of folks might think oh an autonomous car um is something i'll have right like it's something i'll have it in my driveway or something and just the thing that's different is that i'll just hop in it and tell it like punch in where do i want to go and then it'll take me there but you're saying we we won't have autonomous cars so much as like a personal possession. It's more like they'll just be sort of like driverless cabs everywhere. Right, and that's simply because uh, it costs a lot of money to own one of these things. And if they can drive around and drive somebody else while uh, you're doing what you're doing, it's uh, it you you save a lot of money that way. See, you and this is a really interesting cultural piece because. You know, we've, we're a culture that has, for the last hundred years, been like, oh, you want to have a car. Like, a car is a sign of, like, uh, success or, like, status. Uh, so I, I was actually in China about a year ago this time, and there were people, there were, a lot of the streets in Beijing are only about, like, this wide. And people would drive cars that are, like, this wide. And it didn't really make a lot of sense to me because they would only be able to go at one mile an hour. But somebody said to me, oh, it's because they want to show people, like, I own this car now. But you're saying that we will all get over that and be mature adults by 2030. Well, uh, I'll I'll say that those who are becoming adults um, probably will get a lot used to the fact that uh, they can spend their money in other bling rather than uh, one with four tires that uh, sits on a concrete lot. 
I mean, wh- I guess, wh- why? Why do you think that? I mean, I want to believe that. Sell me on that vision that we're all going to just be like, yeah, that's fine. Well, right now, a lot of people are doing it. I mean, uh, Uber and Lyft are uh, out out uh, driving uh, taxi cabs right now, uh, and uh, people are using them as ways to get to the light rail or whatever. And um, it uh, just becomes the idea that... Uh, if you stop to think about it once you get used to not owning a car that you once dropped 20 or $30,000 on something that sits for 90% of the time you have it. So let's, uh, let's what? So we're, we're in 2030 or whatever year it is. And there's these autonomous cars zipping around. We don't own them, but we can just sort of punch into our phone. Oh, I want one. And it'll take me wherever. Um, what does it look like then when I'm actually outside the car or, you know, when I, when I'm waiting for it? I mean, is it that we, does traffic still exist? Like, is that sort of still a thing or does traffic change or? Uh, traffic will, um, probably be a lot calmer because once you've ordered the car on your smartphone, you can get into it and do you can. Do smart car, do these uh, autonomous cars know to zipper merge? Like, is that a thing that they figured out? Oh, beautifully. Yeah. If, if if you if you look it up, you know, autonomous cars in an intersection, you'll you'll see these simulations that look like ant farms, uh, with uh, cars cruising all around, going through intersections, and not hitting each other once. That sounds like a like a dare. Uh, it, <laughs> one never knows. Uh, the uh, uh, so traffic's calmer. But traffic is calmer, but the 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 point is that so will the people inside because they won't have to worry about trying to drive and text at the same time. They can just sit and text for their heart's content. So this is an interesting thing, and I'm gonna. I, I know I said we're in 2030, but I'm gonna peel us back because some folks have, I've heard people talk about these different levels of automation, right? That what we're talking about in that scenario is a car that is a hundred percent autonomous right that like we said you you punch in where do i want it to take me it stops you get in and you go but there's a lot of we're already seeing cars that are on the market that do things like supposedly can sense if there's another car about to get into an accident or whatnot yes so can you yes. just talk what are sort of the steps to getting to that sure. place so there's 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 uh six steps zero through five uh, oh man, only an academic. So uh, I, I, I just blame the engineers, the computer yeah. guys that did it, or women that did it. I, okay, I, so I, I, I'm just telling it like it is. There are six steps that, for some reason, start with step zero. Is that where we are right now? No, step zero is my first car, a 1988 Dodge Omni that would do nothing uh, until I got in it and really? did anything. My mother had a, an Omni, uh, and it burst into flames. They paid extra for that. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, so that was. So, what are we at? Step one, two. Most of what we see might be uh, uh, kind of step one, um, sort of what you might refer to as, as feed off, where you have cruise control. Mm. Uh, uh, it, now you have adaptive cruise control that will uh, uh, tailor the speed to the car in front of you. Mm. Uh, you also have automatic braking now, so that uh, which you know is often advertised in the the TV ads where. Uh, somebody jumps in front of the car and the car stops before the driver has a clue. That is the um, worst acting job, by the way, is the guy in the commercial who has to jump in front of the car. Uh, I've auditioned. I didn't get it. So, um, so okay, so that's, that's tier one. That's one. And then, then uh, kind of two is where you start to uh, combine these things. Uh, uh, you can start to think about uh, maybe, maybe hands-off. Some, some of these vehicles are able to... Uh, follow the lane, be able to make turns and so forth. Um, 
if you combine that with some of the other basic technologies like the uh, the, the blind spot warning and so forth, uh, they're able to actually uh, uh, make a lane change. Mm. Um, this is uh, what you see with uh, like the Teslas right now. Those are those are available with this level two technology. Okay. Um, level three then is where you can actually take your eyes off the road. Uh, and uh, the, 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 the big problem with level three is that if the car discovers it's in a situation it can't handle, you as the human who is the problem in the first place are expected to take over and save the day. See, this seems like the most problematic. Like, this seems like a terrible, ter- it's just inviting disaster because basically you're in an autonomous vehicle you're invited to not pay attention to anything that's happening until something terrible happens. And then you're supposed to snap back to attention and like be ready to like fix everything. Because we do that all the time. Yeah. I, I mean, are there going to be... Because that, I just... Can I like not be on a road for like the five years that those cars are around? <laughs> uh, well, they may never come around because when you get to level four, the description changes. Level four vehicles are expected to be able to... Uh, handle problems by themselves. And the reason why they're level four and level five, not level five, is because you only let them go places where they can handle the problems. It's a closed course, basically. And level five, they, they, they decide that they love certain places and they, the cars want to be there. And they, uh, they have car friends and they roam they, together. They have they conversations with you, sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and not only that, they'll they'll still get you where you want to go and uh, and so safely. level five seriously is that they can just go just about anywhere. Right. They're, yep. Yep. Yeah. Level five is this this holy grail that everybody wants to get to. And the the question is whether we're going to get to level five by progressing through one, two, three, to five, or where level four becomes everybody sees it and it's like this is super cool. I want it in my neighborhood. And so just the same way that we wanted cell phones to work at our houses after we got really used to having mobile phones in our cars, uh, people remember that? Yeah. Um, sort of. Uh, I've, seen, I've seen several yeah, Die Hard movies great. of the yeah. era. Yeah. Um, uh, so, okay, so that, and what is the timeline? Do we have a timeline on what that looks like? Um, 2030 was a little close. Probably thing. 2040, um, yeah. most likely. There have been predictions that uh, the technology will mature enough by 2040 that if we haven't decided by ourselves that we all want it, either the insurance companies will make us want it because it'll be too expensive to insure ourselves as a human driver, or the government will decide that we just can't kill people this way anymore and uh, and, and say that the government can't do it. Let's kill people all kinds of ways. But um, so I, I want to ask, so how uh, do we... I guess the question is sort of uh, the insurance company's piece is really interesting to me. So how, why do, where does that switch turn, I guess, right? You were saying at some point they decide, oh, people are too expensive, right, like to do this. So. Well, that, that'll be just kind of an incremental thing. I mean, it's happening right now. They've discovered that the cars with, uh, with the automatic braking ha- uh, have a statistically significant uh, improvement in both the number and the lack of severity of crashes and so people who have those soon will see lower premiums and uh, so you add those safety features on and on and the actuaries will start figuring out that just about every crash that goes on here has got a human driver 
and uh, that's costing them money. So at some point, it'll only be like the super rich that can drive their own cars out on some like field that like that we haven't heard of, where they're hunting man. Um, <laughs> well, is what you're saying? I understand. That, that same way most people ride horses now. Yeah. It's okay. Probably about right. Uh, so. Let's talk about do because you're you're a planner. You're you're at the University of Minnesota, and you you look at plan. Do the way that cities and, and you know regions look does that change with some of this stuff? Eventually, it will. I mean, these these vehicles will be running around, uh, you know, much of the day, uh, serving people, giving them rides, as opposed to our own vehicles, which sit around and wait for us to tell them to do something. So we won't have need to have nearly as many parking spaces, and uh, that will create opportunities for new developments, infill developments, uh, uh, different ways of of, uh, of of having our urban form shape up where we don't have to provide for parking. One of the things that I find fascinating about autonomous vehicles, driverless car stuff, is that both people who are like diehard urbanists and pedestrian advocates. Uh, are super excited about them because they think, oh, we'll be able to get rid of parking and, uh, you know, we'll have many fewer cars and we'll kind of create these, like, dense uh, utopias. And then people who are like, oh, my gosh, a driverless car, I'll be able to move out to YZ and then just, like, not have to actually drive a car anymore. I'll just be able to get in and it'll take me there and, I, and I'll be able to, like you said, text or play uh, Sudoku the whole way. And I'm like, wait, both of those things can't be the utopia of the future we can only have one utopia pick uh so which is it (laughs) um it's both uh the the what what you'll what what you will probably see is the people who have the the mindless 30 minute commute right now because they can't stand to be in the dense area but they don't like their long commute as it is um will be able to go further away and uh, people who uh, would just as soon be where all the action is all the time will be able to be much closer. I mean, do, I mean, I, I, you would know this better than I would. You're a planner, don't we? Haven't we just always basically been sprawling out though? Like every time we have a new technology that allows us to get farther out. So like, there's streetcars now. Oh, good, I can live farther away from where I work. Oh, wait, now there's uh, cars. Now I can live farther out. Now there are highways. I can live even farther out. I mean, why would it be different with driverless cars? Wouldn't we just all say, oh, now there's no penalty, basically, for living 30 miles away because it's really no different because I'm just going to get in the driverless car. Well, it's a question of, you know, what's the cost of that trip and how do you want to spend your time? Um, and uh, the, the the fact is that you w- probably will be paying per trip as opposed to paying 80% of the cost of your trip when you buy the vehicle. And so you're saying right now we're you've already have so much sunk cost into like buying a vehicle. In this case, you'd be paying per trip, right? And so therefore, there'll be people who realize they can save a whole lot of money by not taking long trips every day. Um, so I, I should say we open this up for you all in the second half of the show to ask more questions. Uh, you mentioned the safety piece. Uh, this is a really another really interesting. Um, Insurance question. So if the driverless car, like, I don't know if you've read Stephen King's Christine, but I assume uh, that that... I avoided that stay in transportation. Yeah, uh, that's not required reading for transportation (laughs) studies. That seems like a misnomer. But um, so 
uh, if a driverless car hits somebody, whose whose fault is that? Um, probably the maker of the car. Uh, they they actually <laughs> the cast and the cast goes. Mm. <laughs> Uh, you, uh, it probably will happen so rarely that you will never ever see another ad that says, "Have you been in- injured in a car accident?" Uh, but it also is rare enough that uh, already uh, Google and Mercedes and uh, and Volvo have stepped up to say, "We will take the liability for any crashes our our our, ca- our cause our vehicles cause." So, no more like ambulance chasing lawyers. They're going to have to become products liability and trademark lawyers. Oh, that's a sad world. <laughs> um, so uh, the, we lose that piece. Uh, one last thing I was curious, because we did promise we were going to be talking about this here. Uh, can driverless cars work in the snow? Well, they have not been shown to yet. <laughs> okay. Well, show over, everybody. Thanks for coming. <laughs> The key word is yet. Uh, remember, half this country gets snow, and so the whole market kind of collapses if they don't figure it out. And What's the hang-up? Is it just they think every flake of snow is a pedestrian, and so the car just freaks out? That's, that's part of it, yes, is, is uh, telling the car that those billions of raindrops or snowflakes or whatever are really not something that they need to be afraid of. Um, because you know, all of a sudden it's uh, like heartwarming. Like they're just they're so concerned with not disrupting the snow. Uh, that's sweet. Maybe well, we could all just learn to not go places in the winter. Well, <laughs> there are times when we don't fly because the the weather is so bad. So we're kind of used to that. the The other aspect is is that they are working on figuring this out, and uh, the the Minnesota Department of Transportation right now actually is testing one of these vehicles on their own closed route with the hope that they will be able to show it on Nicollet Mall doing its thing at time for the Super Bowl when, of course, we're going to be having snow and ice. Oh, that sounds like a recipe for disaster, doesn't it? Uh, You're going to have two million drunken football fans on Nicollet Mall, and then you're going to say, let's throw this remote-controlled car in here. I'm sure it'll be great. Uh, so You'll find out how polite this car is. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I, I guess the last piece is, uh, you started your career, you, you already uh, referenced your Dodge Omni, uh, so you started your career before a lot of, is this- The an, last millennium, the yes. last is this, an excite, is this exciting time to be like a planner or uh, an exciting time to be working on this kind yeah. of stuff? Uh, the, the overused word is disruptive, um, but this is a disruptive technology. Just about everything we could assume about how people get around can be questioned once the cars get good at driving themselves everything can be questioned <laughs> that it okay that, that's, a, just, that, that's a lot of research that i can do that is that is job security <laughs> uh so please a tremendous round of applause <laughs> okay if you have a question please raise your hand i will come towards you in a non-threatening manner hello my question is how will transit adapt how will Ooh. transit adapt? That's a good question. Transit will take over. That's basically what it is when you get into a car that takes you from point A to point B and moves on. Isn't that what a bus does? Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, do you want any... what about the bus unions? So, I, I think that it's okay. Will it all be private then, or will there be any public role in it? Or those questions still are need uh, need to be worked out. 
Uh, oh, come on. Just tell us what's going to happen. Just just make it up. We'll believe you. I, I left my crystal ball in the car. Uh, the uh, the uh, um, It's a question as to what's going to happen with the people who, who make a living by driving right now, but it's not going to happen overnight is one thing. Another is the most common job in the United States right now is truck driver, and yet there is a shortage of truck drivers. So uh, there is uh, a need to be filled by cars that actually don't have a driver. I think that, well, there's a lot of interesting things to dig into there. I just want to press on the transit piece one more thing, because so, you know, uh, there's a lot of complicated math that I feel like we don't always appreciate. We all kind of appreciate that uh, transit is subsidized or whatnot, but a lot of people owning their own cars is subsidized in different ways as well uh, in terms of tax credits and even just the fact that highways and roads are, are subsidizing things. So I'm, does this require sort of a rethinking of how these different things, sort of what the incentive structures are for people to get these different things, right? Like if we're saying, basically, in order to exist in the world, everybody needs to have access to this system, does that mean then that you have to sort of build in the support so that everybody actually can afford to be part of that system? Uh, Yes, I mean, there will need to be some sort of uh, pricing to go on with that. Uh, There is speculation that you know if you realize that Google makes its money with little ads that we didn't realize we're paying attention to, that you could make a lot of money in these cars by putting advertisements in them too and make the per trip cost quite low. Oh, you just lost the audience. No. Don't worry, the ad will be tailored to you. You'll think it's fun. But uh, the. Uh, the, the the other aspect of that, though, from the public policy perspective, is if it's a low price for everybody, why would anybody ever get out of a car? I mean, they, you, you, you would saturate the system. And so there needs to be some price in there, but you need to be able to also make it so that uh, those who can't afford the, the market price can still get around. Okay. Uh, there, I saw another hand over here. Yeah, and I'll come over there, and I'm going to circle around. Um, without being too sarcastic here, because I think it's a real issue, um, what are the impacts going to be on law enforcement um, in the future if 50% of our law enforcement contacts right now are coming through vehicle stops? So the question was, uh, how does this affect potentially law enforcement? If, you know, the vast majority of the time a lot of folks interact with police is because you get pulled over for... A broken taillight or for speeding or X, Y, or Z. Um, if n- all of that goes away, I don't know, do, do police have a lot more time to just harass people for other things, or what is it? Somebody should do a law review article on that. Um, the, uh, the answer, the, s- the short answer, which is not a good answer, uh, is that uh, there will be opportunity for, you know, law enforcement to deploy themselves in in other ways that uh, deal with other crimes besides running a stop sign. Um, On the the other hand, um, you have a very tricky question of how much is of what goes on in that vehicle will be seen by other people who are trying to make sure that that vehicle is safe. Uh, And uh, that... um, Again, not a question that's fully resolved yet. Um, 
could be some good fodder for uh, the next scene. Can you say more about what do you mean? Who who else is seeing it? How how else? There we go. Like everything will be filmed twenty four seven in three hundred and sixty degrees. Possibly, you could also have other ways. <laughs> All right, let's that... just go with that. Uh, no, sorry, you were going to say <laughs> there. There also could be be other ways to you know alert that there's a problem and then possibly engage the camera or something like that. But uh, to the extent that you don't own these cars, somebody else will, and uh, they're going to care about what happens in that car. Okay, right here. There's. Uh, who do you who do you foresee owning and operating these autonomous vehicles? Is it going to be one company, multiple private companies in competition, or is it gonna, are they going to be public, public uh, government-owned systems? What do you think? That's a great question. The, the way it'll uh, roll out will be, uh, be private companies uh, in, in metro areas. I mean, essentially, Uber is uh, trying to figure out how to do that right now, uh, and, uh, and, and uh, Ford and, and, and GM are talking about how do we become mobility companies so that uh, they're providing the ride. The, the issue is that the market is not going to be able to give rides to everybody, and a uh, good question as to whether you're going to be able to have that kind of a market in a small town or in a rural area. So you'll have to uh, come up with some other models to be able to provide the same benefits. Uh, See, and there's a really interesting, though, follow-up to that, which is even in a, a, a dense urban market, I, w- I was recently in Mexico City. That is entirely an Uber town. Like, there is no Lyft or any other kind of... Uh, you know, transit appy kind of thing. So do we run that risk as well of sort of like one company moves into a market, takes over, and now like either you're going to use the Uber like autonomous vehicles or you're going to walk? Now we get beyond the transportation question, but it would, that would give us what basically a, a, an antitrust situation. Uh, and uh, you could, you know, the same way that, uh, you know, when railroads seem to be... Uh, uh, taking over and, 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 and setting rates for farmers back in the late 19th century, uh, they ended up being heavily regulated. And so at that point, you know, you're going to uh, see some level of, uh, of government step in, I think. So should we think about these then going forward as, like, utilities as opposed to companies, potentially? I think transportation is basically a utility, yes. So uh, it's, it's a matter of, uh, of, of how you want to, to view it. But transportation has kind of moved back and forth. When it was the railroads, it was government uh, uh, working to uh, promote and, uh, and, and regulate uh, private companies, which were the railroads. Then we moved to the highway, where government basically supplied everything on which private entities traveled. And uh, now we see private entities moving for- back into the forefront, and, and the government role has to be f- figured out again. Okay, I'm going to walk up there. I saw a hand up there. As I'm walking up there, oh, look it. Oh, you're, like, <laughs> flashing me down. I got to say, um, there's, a, there's a, a, an apology just that we, the, the kitchen tonight lost a cook somehow. I don't know how he was lost. I don't know if we sent out a search party, but they're gone. And so uh, some of the food is coming out a little slower than usual, uh, little is a very polite way to put it. And so uh, I just uh, thank you all for your patience and bearing with us. And now I'm going to tur- come over here. Uh, what sort of security features will be put into the autonomous cars to prevent hackers from going, bait in the, you know, like Fast and Furious 7 to where, you know, Sarah Lee Theron just came in and started controlling all the cars and causing them to crash into each other? 
Well, the, the answer to that is that that's not a, a, a problem for the future. That's a problem we have now. Um, a, a couple of years ago, uh, some folks in Wired Magazine, uh, well, actually, the, the reporter in the car was from Wired Magazine who had given permission to some hackers to take over his Jeep Cherokee, and they, they did. And even though he had a steering wheel and a brake pedal, it meant nothing. Uh, so we have um, a situation where basically the... The, the white hat hackers are trying to stay ahead of the black hat hackers, and you uh, also will do your best to try and trace where that uh, is coming from so that if you do manage to catch the, the nefarious folks, uh, you, you can appropriately punish them so folks wouldn't want to do that. But it's, it's a problem that we have now, and uh, the fact that we're not having our cars getting taken over now probably would indicate that, you know, uh, in most cases, we're not going to have that. But uh, are you saying with. that it's just a perpetual arms race between, as you said, like white hat hackers and black hat hackers, that they'll just constantly be, like, trying to outpace each other? That's the same situation we have now. I mean, eventually, you know, you could see that there becomes no profit in, in trying to take over the cars. Uh, one thing to think about is the way the cars, the technology works, uh, what the big breakthrough is that makes all this happen is that Google invented a completely autonomous vehicle such that uh, a hacker would have to take over each individual vehicle to create mayhem versus the idea that you could just flip a switch and uh, take over the entire network. Okay. we had, Did you still uh, – because I have one back here. Do you want to – Yes, I would. So my question is a little simple. So with – the technology advancing to the point where you don't have to pay attention to the wheel, is there an age limit on, your, on the license of the person that's actually driving it? Does it require one? So could a 12-year-old drive a driverless car? Um, the, that's not fully defined yet, but chances are um, the age limit of comfort in putting someone in the vehicle is sort of the same age comfort age of comfort you have in putting your own kid into a bus right now without you uh being uh without you being on the bus with them um it's a matter of how advanced that technology is how user-friendly how simple it is Uh, or putting your pets on the autonomous car to the pound um so uh So I'm, I'm wondering if you, if anyone's ever thought of um, sort of the, in the way that highways kind of led to some ghost towns um, in more rural areas, um, would autonomous cars contribute to that a little bit more, uh, just in the fact that humans aren't traveling through these areas anymore? Well, that's actually, um, we're... We're, research that we're actually doing is trying to figure out that how you can have this technology make it so you can more easily continue to live or live in, in these rural areas because there are benefits of these technologies such as the fact that uh, uh, you don't have to take the keys away from your parents if your parents aren't actually driving and they can continue to live where they are uh, and that uh, could uh, allow people to continue to, to choose to live in smaller towns or they could live further out, uh, as we've talked about earlier. You know, if you wanted to live in Lakeville, you could live in Lakeville forever. Somebody does, I guess. I feel like I could see this going either way, and I'm wondering if you think realistically um, this, would, um, this would increase or decrease uh, transportation equity. 
that is uh, the big question, and you're right. Uh, if uh, I, I I state that you know if we don't take a look at our policies now and try to come up with ways to uh, disincentives for say empty vehicle travel, or uh, that we still end up owning our cars and only the rich are the ones who really get to take advantage of the technology, uh, it will not increase equity. But if we can move to a situation where uh, we are, we, where the, the the rides are shared, the vehicles are shared, um, we uh, can have a lot more levers to be able to increase the ability for people, regardless of income, regardless of ability. Because I, I should point out that the vehicles that are being tested as these shuttles um, don't look like your typical car. They look more like you know, shuttle pods that uh, can have much wider doors uh, ability. They can have ramps on them. Uh, it can allow uh, the ability to get around to everyone uh, rather than just Be those who have the ability to drive or afford to drive. Beyond design, are there policy things that we should be thinking about or that you have identified in terms of trying to push in that direction, that it is more equitable, that it is something that actually increases access? Uh, we're continuing to try to understand exactly what might those what those levers might be. Uh, certainly, uh, things that uh, create an incentive to um, to share share the ride instead of uh, owning your own car. Uh, the um, the the uh, aspect that uh, we fund our, uh, our our roadways in part by paying excise taxes and uh, and sales taxes when by buying the car. Those sorts of things, uh, you know, help build our way, you know, requiring, uh, build our way to people owning cars, requiring minimum parking in, in zoning regulations uh, makes people think they've got to have cars to get around. And uh, if, if instead you do something else, then maybe not. Okay, I, I might have time. I definitely want, sorry. Um, so drinking and driving is obviously a really big issue. How would these cars impact those laws? Um. On a practical level, uh, that is uh, something that, uh, you know, really you could see an improvement. Um, there are, interestingly enough, cases uh, in the United States where somebody has been in a car, pulled over, keys in their pocket, uh, but inebriated, and they were sleeping it off, and yet they, they were still convicted of DWI. So you'll need to try to uh, create laws that create some safe haven for people to have a safe ride home or something like that. And they, you certainly would not want them in a level three where they have to take over. And you could end up in a situation where you just drunkenly like type in like, I want to go to Tijuana, and then like the car just... <laughs> the stories you could tell. Uh, you know, you talked about uh, Uber or some, some big company, corporation, owning places, owning the cars. Have you also talked at trying to arrange so they're collectively owned and each community, you know, communities own and cooperatively and collectively all have access to cars so it's not being owned by one megalomaniac? Yeah. Um, I mean, on, on the one hand, uh, I recognize that... Uh, we are a market economy, and so where you can have competition to drive down costs and, 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 and uh, provide innovation, that is what's going to move us forward. But there are going to be places where that does not work. 
Uh, and right now we see that even in the situation of Uber and so forth, where small towns don't get that kind of service. And people have banded together to create their own kind of collective car sharing service. And I think that might be a model that you have to look to in certain markets. Okay. Did you all decide who has the best question? Oh, is this going to disrupt ExxonMobil out of business, or is it just going to merge into? Is it just going to be taken over by Google? <laughs> That's well, to I, the point. I, yeah. I won't. I won't discount the the latter option, but uh, uh, there, there's a couple of things. One is that a self-driving car can have an internal combustion engine, but uh, if you look at most of the developments, they are electric, and uh, that uh, does uh, mean that ExxonMobil is going to have to get us to buy a lot more things made of plastic or something. Did you, did you? Okay, so with, with the impact on vehicle miles traveled and the increased, you know, everybody living in Lakeville or YZ or whatever, how are we going to pay for this? How are we going to pay for the roads that these cars are going to drive on? Well, if they're, if they're powered by electricity, it's not going to be with the gas tax. Um, the, uh, uh, the, the thing that you're looking at is... Um, to get really technical here, mm -hmm. the gas tax right now is loved by uh, those who administer it because it's actually collected by government only from the wholesaler. So in Minnesota, that's like, to come up with a close number, 11 payers of the gas tax to the state of Minnesota. Um, and so because it's only the folks who are selling gas wholesale that are paying the gas right. tax on the, on the actual like state to person, and obviously that then gets passed along in a right, lot of different Right, ways. passed yeah. along that way. So if we also have a situation where uh, there are these, uh, where there are these fleet providers of, of uh, rides, you can have them pay a, maybe a fee per mile uh, that uh, their vehicles are traveling. And uh, it probably would be more fair because it's based upon the roads they're actually using as opposed to the fossil fuel they're consuming. That seems like a wonderful opportunity for hacking uh, to just sort of uh, to just sort of ch to just rejigger the numbers and be like, oh, we we only drove twelve miles today, not twelve hundred. Uh, well, I mean, if you've got only a few payers, uh, it's the same way that uh, you make sure that uh, that that the Koch brothers aren't uh, saying, yo, we only sold twelve gallons of gas this month. Sure, I buy it. All right, so on that note, please, a big round of applause. Such a... Thank you for listening. This show was recorded live at the Bryant Lake Bowl in Minneapolis. If you'd like to attend one of our live shows or are interested in working with us on an issue you're passionate about, you can find out more information on our website at www.t2p2.net and on Facebook and Twitter. Also, if you enjoyed the show, please tell a friend about it. Thanks.